You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to Conversations and Meditations. I'm your host, Virgil Varix, and today is April 13th, 2019. Uh, okay, let's get right into the show. Okay, so today's episode is going to be kind of a discussion on uh, leadership, motivation, and uh, teamwork, um, specifically within uh, businesses, um, or other organizations, uh, schools, and kind of even you can even take this to governments and stuff like that and uh, trying to see what are the you know uh, motivation you know what are the at least understanding the relationship between leadership and motivation the connection between them um how you know you can have motivation through a psychological framework framework um different types of leadership uh, theories styles uh participative leadership and uh, qualities of successful leaders so we're going to be going over a few things here and there. But there's, you know, first thing we want to start with is just two major influences affect how individuals perform, the type of leadership that exists, and, uh, you know, personal motivation. It's important to look at these two concepts as interconnected and dependent of indi- individual situations. So, you know, motivation uh, is defined as the extent to which persistent effort is directed towards a goal. So that's a pretty interesting uh Definition and you know it kind of goes in four ways. At least motivation is. So it starts with you know number one effort. You know effort must be defined in relation to its appropriateness to the objectives being pursued. Um, the first aspect of motivation refers to the amount of effort being applied to the job. Like I said, the the effort must be defined in relation to the appropriateness to the objectives being pursued. One may you know for example apply a tremendous amount of effort to inappropriate tasks, they may not contribute to the achievement of the stated goals. Uh, number two, persistence. The second characteristic relates to the willingness of the individual to stay with a task until it's complete. For example, an important task to get uh, accomplished with effort but allows uh, the person to rest on their laurels for extended periods does not you know, display persistence in a sense. Three, direction. Um, is the effort directed towards the organization's goals or related to the individual's self-interest? Direction is therefore measured in terms of how persistent effort is applied in relation to the goals being pursued. And fourth, goals. Um, and uh, there are the two different types of goals being pursued simultaneously. You know, there are individual goals and organizational goals. And, um, you know, an example, and sometimes they align, right? Sometimes the organizational grow, I, I, you know, goal of growth could also be, um, 
congruent with the individual who's working or who's within the organization's idea of growth. That might actually be a uh, a legit thing. So, you know, when we talk about motivation, there's two specific types. There's extrinsic motivation and intrinsic motivation. So extrinsic motivation uh, factors in the external environment and uh, – such as you know, pay, supervision, benefits, job perks, stuff like that. Intrinsic motivation is the relationship between the worker and the task itself. So I think that's two ways to, to look at it. But there, you know, you're talking about you know having a team or a group of people in, in an organization. We have to figure out ways to motivate those people in a team in order for them to be able to accomplish their tasks to the highest gear, right? To the highest ability. So, you know, the, the five ways we talk about motivating people is, number one, figure out what makes them tick, you know, the individual needs. Um, give clear expectations for the team. Um, you know, a team needs – in order for a team to be motivated, there needs to be a consistent reinforcement and consequences on what's been going on and all this stuff. There needs to be healthy competition. And uh, at times, it needs to change out team members depending on the situation, depending on what's going on. And I think it's important to take this and analyze it and understand it. Um, next thing is uh, we need to you know, identify goals and identifying goals. Um, so, for instance, let's say a company has a goal, increase sales by 10 percent. You know, the motivators, uh, top sellers receive financial, you know, for instance, the organization or company might say top sellers receive financial bonuses if goal is reached, which that is an extrinsic motivation but the you know the the interest uh and the intrinsic motivation would be you know top sellers get to choose their next project allowing seller to pursue a work-based interest would you know increase their intrinsic motivation in a sense so there is you know ways an organization can feed both the extra you know can both give an extrinsic and intrinsic motivation throughout the incentives that they provide um you know, I've talked about this many, many times, and we're going to go into it again today. Um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and this is studied within business. This is studied within, I mean, first and foremost, psychology. But, you know, today I wanted to kind of connect the world of business and psychology, the world of organizations and psychology. You know, and I say business and organizations. I don't necessarily mean for-profit. I also mean non-profit. I also mean charitable organizations, stuff like churches, anything. Within any type of organization, these skills of, you know, leadership, uh, motivation and uh, they're necessary. I feel like, and and you know, to be able to understand all this stuff, I think is essential to, you know, helping people achieve the things that they want to achieve, but also helping the organization at large achieve what it needs to achieve. So, like I said, uh, we're going to be talking about you know need based motivation, and that's connected to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So Abraham Maslow developed a theory that you know humans have five set of needs that are arranged in a hierarchy, right? And it's kind of into a pyramid. He contends that people start by you know trying to satisfy their most basic or compelling needs uh, and progress towards the most fulfilling. These needs are as follows, right? The first need is uh, the psychological needs. Uh, this include the need for food or physiological. Sorry, jeez. <laughs> He's the needs uh, the needs for food, water, shelter, clothing, and money. You know, until an individual has access to these necessities, there can be no further progress for the individual and their needs. Um, these needs are very basic, mind you. And for the most part, society and our network, our social network, have ensured that they are present, right, for the most part, um, specifically in the West, of course. Um, intrinsic value 
includes personal comfort, satisfaction, while extrinsic value are more often provided by the organization, the community, or the society itself. The next one is uh, safety needs. So these include security, stability, structured environment, uh, somewhat ordered, and like I said, uh, stable environment. Um, you know, here individual expects and pursues, for instance, job security, a comfortable work environment, you know, some type of pension. Who knows, right? Um, you know, insurance plans and the freedom to organize in order to ensure continuation of the benefits. Individual's main objective, I guess, is to ensure that benefits are protected or employment needs are being met rather than, you know, contributing to a long-term organizational goals. Again, we see a dependence on the external environment to provide these supports. Personal motivation may include the peace of mind that can be provided as a result of these needs being met. So when you have a stable, secure job and the organization is stable and secure, you know, your needs are being met, specifically your safety needs. And, uh, and this, like I said, puts a peace of mind um, over you, which could allow you to go to the next part of your, um, you know, hierarchy of needs. So, you know, the next the next uh, part of the hierarchy of needs is uh, relationships. You know, number uh, three, relationship needs. So, relationship needs include socializ- socialization, you know, affection, love, companionship, friendship. Um, the individual at this level participates for personal intrinsic rewards. Since no person can live for extended periods without interaction with other people, the, indiv- the individual may be drawn to participate simply to fulfill his needs. Um, and organizations that provide these opportunities include social clubs, single clubs, senior clubs, service clubs, depending on the level of personal needs, mind you. Um, the organization can assist by, you know, ensuring that the opportunity for social and relationship expectations are created and met. Next is are the uh, esteem needs, number four. And, you know, these include feelings of adequacy, independence, confidence, competence, um, appreciation, recognition by others. Again, the individual is driven more by an internal or intrinsic need here. The external environment is needed more to provide recognition than to provide the material reward itself. You know, at this point, the intrinsic value is more important than we can, you know, that can be provided from outside influences or influencers. You know, the ego itself seems to take over here and kind of ensure that it is satisfied. That the need is uh, is to be ensured to be satisfied. And uh, last one, self-actualization, number five. So self-actualization, you know, this area... It's kind of difficult to define and explain, you know, obviously, because it means so much to so many different people. But the way, you know, for, let me see how I can put it. Why does a successful business person need to pursue further wealth when they've already accumulated more than they will ever need? You know, the, the answer may lie in the fact that motivation is more internal and therefore every individualistic, um, you know, like I said, the may lie in the motivation is more internal. So when I, what do I mean by that? Meaning the individual it means very individualistic. Maybe it it brings them meaning, and you know, running this organization, running this company. So, like for instance, um, somebody who Steve Jobs is an is uh, example. 
somebody who genuinely loved what he did. And yeah, there's a lot of, you know, um, books out there and movies uh, talking about his character. And that's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm here to talk about the, you know, motivation and leadership skills that he had, um, particularly in the fact that, you know, when it came to him, you know, leaving the company, coming back to the company and wanting to build more and creating even better things, things that we all love and use today. Um, that was done, I think, by a more internal and intrinsic need versus a more, you know, external need. You know, different people have different ideas about what they need to achieve in order to obtain true happiness and true meaning. You know, I guess for, for wealthy people, money may no longer be a motivator. It may now need to be, you know, exercise, you know, they might need to exercise power or the adventure or the adrenaline rush created by, you know, playing a high stakes game or, you know, the idea that, what I'm creating is motivating people to go out there and do things. What I'm creating is helping the world or changing the world. You know, these types of things, regardless of who they are and their egos, I mean, these are all intrinsic motivations. You know, people who pursue self-actualization are more accepting of reality themselves and others, and they're more honest with themselves at the end of the day. You know, organizational requirements may include the opportunity for creativity and growth. Frequently, you know, individuals you know, hoping and aspiring to this level often operate outside existing organizations and instead, you know, instead build their own structures to suit their individual needs. You know, these people are the entrepreneurs um, in many cases. You know, in discussing this theory, you know, it appears that the further up the scale individual moves, the more reward or motivators move from the external environment to an internal need, from an, from an intrinsic, I mean, extrinsic, you know, need, uh, to intrinsic. The more the rewards or motivators, you know, move from the external environment to the internal need, it also becomes more difficult to influence motivation um, since material rewards become less relevant and internal, you know, rewards become more difficult to identify and address and they're very, very subjective for many, many different people. Uh, you know, in order to enhance organizational performance, it is important that, you know, the organization can help their people working there, their leaders there to meet all these needs and doing the best they can to get this forward. Um, the next type of motivational theory out there, Alfers, Alderfers, uh ERG theory. So ERG stands for existence, relatedness, and growth. Now, similar to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it focuses on you know, differing levels of needs, which are she's satisfied in order of importance. Uh, unlike Maslow's theory, uh, in it's unlike Maslow's theory in that it allows for higher needs to be met before lower needs under certain circumstances. So you know, Clayton Alderfers uh, developed another needs-based theory that you know supports in many ways uh, the theory developed by Maslow, but you know consists of three rather than five basic needs. Alda. Alderfer also sees his three levels, which include existence, relatedness, and growth, ERG, needs as being hierarchical and thus influenced by personal growth and extrinsic and intrinsic rewards. So one, you know, an, ex, an existence need. We, talk, you know, we mentioned ERG, existence needs. Uh, this include the needs that are satisfied by material substances or conditions, they correspond closely to the psychological needs identified by Maslow and those safety that can be satisfied by material rather than you know, interpersonal rewards or conditions. They include the need for food, shelter, pay, safe working conditions. So you could see how it kind of sucks up you know, two of Maslow's 
that needs right there and kind of combines them in a way. So relatedness needs, you know, these are the needs that may be satisfied by exchange, interactions, communications with other individuals. Um, this is dependence on feedback from other organizational or community members to fulfill these needs. You know, that's the motivation is provided by a combination of extrinsic rewards and intrinsic rewards. You know, those rewards include, you know, accurate and honest feedback, um, which may involve direction and advice rather than, you know, unconditional, you know, agreement and unconditional love. And, you know, third growth needs. You know, these are the needs that are fulfilled by strong personal involvement that fully utilize our skills, our abilities and creativity. They include Maslow's self-actualization as well as esteem needs that rely, uh, you know, heavily on intrinsic rewards. Um, you know, both theories are also similar because they are hierarchical. You know, they're they're in a pyramid. Uh, they both, you know, if you look at the models online, they are in pyramids. And uh, you know, individuals will concentrate on the achievement of the lowest level of the need that is not satisfied. Maslow contends that you know. The lowest level of needs must be satisfied before an individual can pursue to the next highest level. Alderfers theorizes that if a higher level need is unsatisfied, the individual will regress to desire to satisfy lower level needs. So Maslow believes that once a need is met, it's no longer motivational. Alderfer theorizes, you know, that while an individual may have met higher level needs in one person, you know, in their in their personal life, for example, they still might be operating much lower. On the uh, on the scale, in a sense, um, McLean's theory of needs and this continuation of need-based motivation. And again, uh, there's three here: achievement, affiliation, and power. You know, concentrated with behavioral consequences of need. It's not hierarchical, mind you. So, psychologist David uh, McLean uh, contends, you know, that we develop a relative relatively stable personality early in life, and that once acquired remains unchanged. So McLean, therefore, does not see motivation as hierarchical at all. He does not address the issue of growth, but has been more concerned with behavioral consequences of needs themselves. So the three areas of needs that he has identified include the need for achievement, the need for affiliation, and the need for power. So first, you know, these are not hierarchical. This is the first way I'm going to, you know, approach it. In terms of alpha, you know, alphabetical order, uh, the needs for need for achievement. You know, individuals in this category have a strong desire to perform challenging tasks well, and do a good job at it. Right? They have uh, a preference for situations where personal responsibility can be taken for successful outcomes. You know, the goals they set provide for moderate and calculated risks, and you know, the individual seeks performance feedback to allow for modification, and to ultimately ensure their success. Again, that's the need for achievement. The need for uh, affiliation. Um, you know, people in this category, I guess, display a need to establish and maintain friendly, relatable, compatible relationships. They have a need, I guess, to enjoy other people's company and also want other people to enjoy their company. They have the ability to create social networks that result in meeting these needs. You know, um, Different friend groups, organizations that are, you know, frat, for, you know fraternities, sororities, stuff like this. Um, and finally, the need for power. You know, people in this category have a strong need to have influence over others. 
They wish to make significant impact and impression on those with whom they come in contact with. The need for power corresponds in many ways to Maslow's esteem needs where power is used to get the attention or to build a personal prestige in a way. You know, since this theory is not non-hierarchical, Jesus, I can't speak. Uh, the growth pattern between intrinsic and intri- extrinsic rewards uh, that are a major part of the earlier theories do not appear to contain the same significance McLean um, contends that people will be motivated to seek out and perform well in jobs and match their needs. These needs may include you know, either of the three categories, mind you. Um, you know, these... You know, the testing of, uh, of these theories has resulted in some conclusions that help us identify strengths and limitations of each approach. You know, there, you know, obviously these theories present a useful approach to thinking about organizational behavior. And that's essentially what I'm trying to get at. You know, organizational behavior is a very important topic and it's something I studied in university, a few classes here and there, uh, connecting this and uh, – it's very important because there's a significant amount of psychology that comes into this. And everybody I've read, talked to you about today uh, are all psychologists and have all developed this. So, But it is used every single day in most of the organizations you find, at least you know, the higher-up organizations, you know, professional organizations, um, and even for you know, smaller or you know, different types of organizations. Um, you know, it's not like one inherently is better than the other. The point is to kind of to apply the concepts of internal and external motivators to individual specific situations. Um, and while, while Maslow's theory is, you know, complicated and contains more steps than the others, there is a recognition of the progression from one level to the other. This is very familiar to people, specifically people that um, are game-oriented. When I say game-oriented, I mean the way they think about certain things. So. Um, Understanding that, you know, next level and next level, this is game-oriented thinking. Um, Alderfer's, you know, three levels seems to be the simplest or to be simpler in, in a way, I guess less rigid than Maslow's. And, you know, it might be more satisfactory to those who wish to understand and apply a model to their individual behavior versus something a little bit more structured as Maslow has it right there. And then, you know, finally, with McLean's research has been applied in organizational settings and have been supportive of, you know, the idea that particular needs are motivational. You know, our, you know, former theme, uh, you know, when we talk about, you know, motivation, um, it's important to understand that, you know, the application of any theory of motivation has strengths and weaknesses that allow insight into individual motivation, right? And uh, provide, you know, an exit for those times when the theory will let us down. You know, all theories contribute to a better understanding of human behavior in general, but specific application of theory depends on factors that respond to the individual needs. Um, and we talk about goals. You know, we, we talked about, you know, need-based um Motivation. And now we got to talk about goals. And, you know, most, most goals fall into two categories, I would say. You have performance goals, you know, which is like an individual is concerned with acquiring favorable judgment from his or her peers, supervisors, authority figures. And this is an extrinsic need, mind you. Remember, extrinsic. External 
influencers. A learning goal, you know, different from a performance goal, you know, the individual uses feedback to increase his or her competence. And this is intrinsic. So this um, comes from Carol Dweck's theory that all goals, a per, you know, that all goals a person might pursue fall into these two particular categories, performance and learning goals. And, you know, if this theory is correct, it contains some further implications for our, our motivation. You know, first, it, it provides for a much better understanding of intrinsic and, and extrinsic rewards in relation to performance itself. While favorable judgment from, you know, our other individuals around us, our peers, our supervisors, authority figures provides extrinsic rewards, the intrinsic rewards come from both the accepting of this judgment and direction that it provides for further learning. Mind you, you know, the performer sees learning as a lifelong process. That's why I always say, you know, if what if you can be one thing in life, be a lifelong learner. It's a life, lifelong process, you know, and, you know, thus creating an even greater level of motivation, ultimately. You know, secondly, the theory provides a better understanding about failure and its impact on the individual, you know, themselves. You know, since we all fail at times, sometimes we fail a lot, sometimes we don't fail that much. But, you know, all in our, in every part in our life, we're going to have a moment where we fail. You know, our ability to respond is the essential factor in motivation. You know, if a person has, you know, if a person with a learning goal will respond to failure by trying, you know, even harder to see the next time, you know, in contrast, a person with a performance goal may respond to failure by concluding they cannot complete the task and they, you know, therefore might give up. So it's really important to realize this. And, you know, Dweck further theorizes that some people believe that, you know, their personal qualities such as intelligence and ability are fixed and unchanged, unchangeable. This belief may, you know, let people, may lead people with performance goals to conclude that they aren't, that they don't have what it takes. And as a result, give up and others that have intelligence and ability can change with time and education experience. Their goal, therefore, is not to prove their competence, but to increase it. Thus, success and failure are learning experiences that cause them to try and try again. So, you know, we, we talked about motivation, right, and, uh, and its importance. But now, you know, I kind of want to go and move on to leadership and tell you why that's so important, why that's... It's really, and you know, once it's known what motivates people, you know, around an organization and, you know, individuals in generally, you know, leadership can be thought of as a, in relation to these individual situations. So there's two types of leaders. There's emergent and assigned leaders. You know, in many circles, there's a continuous debate about, are leaders born? Are they developed? You know, if we reflect... (laughs) On our, I mean, my my opinion, I think they're developed. You know, if we reflect on our earlier discussion, you know, let me explain that. Yes, you know, people might might, might say, "Oh, wow, he's a born leader." That's not necessarily true. That person just might be more dominant in the way they engage. It might be more imposing, but that doesn't mean that they're a leader. Leadership has to be developed through failure, through through trying, through understanding one another, through listening, through being, you know, through self-leadership, most importantly, you know, being able to lead yourself down a right path, down a path that is good for you and for others, a path that will help you and others. So, 
you know, if we reflect on our early discussion, you know, about motivation, we can see that, you know, humans are extremely complicated. <laughs> so many variables in there. They're made up of a number of different traits. You know, as with motivation, these influencers are both inherited and acquired from our environment and influences. And, you know, consequently, leadership theories will continue to be debated in the future because of this, right? And we will continue this this is, you know, this discussion on the assumption that leadership can be developed. And because I tend to go that way, but also I think, you know, furthermore, for the purpose, we will, you know, not distinguish between leaders and managers. I'm not going to do that. Um, but we'll use the team leader to apply to any earned or appointed role that carries in the continuation of this. You know, leadership may be uh, easily defined as the influence that particular individuals, leaders, exert upon uh, the goal achievement of others, subordinates, in an organizational context. You know, um, in a limited way, the impacts of, in a limited way, the impacts of leaders on performance is limited. You know, we stated that leaders have an ability to see how different aspects of situations fit together and influence um, each other. You know, they seek out alliances, you know, opportunities and approach goals. They have a positive, you know, leaders need to have a positive effect on each other. We know which this attracts support from those who have similar needs um, for accomplishment, in a sense. You know, their self confidence creates a belief in other people's ability. Therefore, emphasis is placed on empowerment and freedom. You know, if we agree that leadership has two distinct aspects the individual who exerts influence, and, you know, two, those who are the objects of influence. Successful leadership depends to a large extent on the environment and situation in which these dynamics exist. There are other issues that must be acknowledged, though, in my opinion. There are two types of leaders, like I said. Emergent leaders, those leaders who earn leadership positions through their expertise, skills, abilities, or to influence others, or personal uh, acceptability by the group, and then assigned leaders, those who are given power to exercise influence through appointment. In general, both emergent and assigned leaders fulfill two different functions. They must be able to provide social and emotional support to the group by listening, acknowledging, team building, um, supporting other members in the group and other individuals in the group, um, you know, subgroups within that group, larger group. Now, this is related, you know, referred to, you know, social emotional support. Uh, the second factor is to provide direction and assistance to the group in accomplishing their tasks, ultimately. You know, a successful leader has the ability to identify and apply the appropriate strategy at the right time, into the right place. In a group that is confused about the goals of the organization, for example, will not respond well to social-emotional approach, nor will a group that is, ex you know, experiencing internal conflict in, you know, that happens a lot. So, we talk about leaders, we have to also mention something about, you know, shaping behavior. So the two most effective ways to shape behavior are rewards, you know, the most effective type of reinforcement, obviously. Um, you know, tangible benefits, compliments, um, honoring somebody for their good job. And like I said, the second one is punishments. And punishments have a minimal impact on our behavior, ultimately. You know, reprimanding somebody, um, firing somebody, withholding a raise, you can go down the line. Kicking somebody out of a group or a political organization, take it, take it for what you want. 
So assigned leaders draw their power and influence from sources outside the group. And in most cases, they have been given some power to assign tasks, hand out rewards and punishment based on performance. Rewards may include, you know, like I said, compliments, uh, deserve special treatment, um, acknowledgement of one's work and achievements within that group, an individual within that group. Um, when we, th- you know, we thought of when, we th- when, when well thought out, you know, with a clear criteria rewards that complement individual needs can be very motivational. On the other hand, leader who, leaders who have no authority to provide rewards may attempt to create them by giving compliments, praise, and making promises they can't deliver. Over time, this tends to obviously demotivate um, the team. It leads to a ultimate, you know, to a terribly loss. Terrible loss of loyalty, and it creates a dissension, and eventually causes the group to uh, have co- you know internal conflicts and you know to be to be dysfunctional. Like I said, you know, punishments can include all types of things. You know, no, don't giving, not giving out a promotion, uh, withholding of promotion raises, um, giving somebody a, a tedious task. You know, at best, punishments seem to have minimal effect on satisfaction or our productivity at the workplace or wherever. You know, at worst, punishments are seen as, you know, random and not contingent on behavior or performance and most often poorly administered. Leaders who have access to only punishments often resort to identifying degrees of unfavorable unfavorable behavior and dole out punishment accordingly. So we talk about different motivational theories. Now let's talk about different leadership styles and different leadership theories. So uh, House's path goal theory, according to Robert House, the most important activities of leaders are those that clarify the path to various goals of interest to subordinates. Thus effective leaders form a connection between subordinate goals and organizational goals. Since leadership is about increasing group performance through motivation, the leader must be more concerned with job satisfaction and the creation of a clear picture of how subordinates can gain rewards, grow based on their and grow based on their performance. So, House's theory is concerned with four di- you know four different kinds of leadership styles, leadership behaviors. Ultimately, um, the directive behavior. This is you know, this includes scheduling work, maintaining performance standards, and letting subordinates know what is expected from them. Um, supportive behavior. A leader in this case is displaying this behavior is friendly, approachable, and concerned with pleasant and interpersonal relationships. Um, participative, you know, behavior, you know, leaders who practice this type of behavior consult with their subordinates and consider their opinions and actually, you know, take their opinions and put them on. And finally, achievement-oriented behavior. This behavior encourages subordinates to exert higher efforts and strive for a higher level of goal accomplishment. You know, leaders demonstrating this type of behavior express confidence that subordinates can reach out and uh, accomplish their goals for themselves individually and also for the group itself. So, you know, there's, there's situational factors that, that, um, that have, that come, that come with the leadership and leading, uh, you know, affecting leadership, I would say. So subordinate characteristics and environmental factors are the two things there. So subordinate characteristics, aptitude, individual needs, uh, environmental factors include, you know, the clarity of what you're talking about and what's being needed, the task urgency, the appropriateness of the leader's style, 
to the situation and the timing of everything. So like I said, the subordinate characteristics and environmental factors greatly influence the success and create the opportunity for successful leadership. Um, you know, firstly, individual characteristics affect the achievement levels that can be reasonably to be expected. Um, secondly, subordinates have individual needs that must be met if their performance and motivation levels to remain high. Thirdly, subordinate ap- subordinates' aptitude and ability will affect both the performance and response of other coworkers. Envi- you know, like I said, that's the sub- you know subordinate um, characteristics. You know, when it comes to environmental factors, you know, the impact on leadership includes you know the appropriateness of the leader's style. Like I said, um, to the situation will have a major impact on the behavior of the group. I talked about clarity, task clarity in a sense, um, task urgency, you know, subordinate, subordinate being, you know, empathetic with your subordinates, you know, will affect the performance and motivation, obviously. Um, leader qualifications and knowledge, you know, will build group confidence and loyalty ultimately. But at the same time, you cannot be somebody who's a know-it-all. No one will respect that and no one will take you seriously. And lastly, you know, there's probably no substitute for being in the right place at the right time. You know, successful leaders will take advantage of the, you know, of the motivating and satisfying aspects of jobs while offsetting and compens- or compensating for those factors that, you know, demotivate or dissatisfy the group. You know, there's evidence that this theory works better in predicting job satisfaction and leader acceptance than increasing subordinate performance in a way. That is um Really important to thing to understand, but we talked about you know different types of leadership, you know participative leadership. So we we've seen you know participative leadership has a wide range of applications. You know you can have a total involvement of subordinates in implementation planning. You know possible you know possible benefits that can you know happen are you know motivation, quality, acceptance. You know we'll go into all that. Um. So there's different types of, like, you know, like I said, different types of ways of getting and levels of participation. So, like I said, total involvement of subordinates in planning, implementation, evaluation to simple requests for assistance where such participation is necessary ingredient for success. Now, given this fact, uh, we can easily see that participation will not be successful in all situations, but, you know, case specific. While public or community involvement will provide much better results and, you know, compiling a strategic plan for the community, you would not apply a public participation model if you were trying to escape from a burning building. Or, yeah, that probably is a good example. Um, <laughs> public or, you know, community participation can contribute to the following. Um, motivation, like I said, you know, participation can contribute to the identifying and establishing group goals and how they can be accomplished. You know, it can also contribute to the Intrinsic motivation by enriching subordinates' job through variety, autonomy, and empowerment. You know, two, we talk about quality. There's an old saying that, you know, two heads are better than one, right? And in many cases, this is true of participation. You know, subordinates have knowledge and experience and expertise in other areas that the leader does not have. And thus, this combination of leader and subordinates' expertise can lead to a higher quality process and solutions. In addition, the qualities of empowerment allow employees to take direct action to solve problems. Um, acceptance. You know, participation can increase subordinate acceptance of the decisions 
since they were involved in decision-making in the first place. There's also a better chance of subordinates seeing decisions as being more fair when they have an input in these decisions themselves, a more, you know, democratic approach in a way. Um, you know, participative leadership is important, but it also can lead to a lot of problems, mind you. You know, team and energy spent in calling meetings, going through, you know, brainstorming ideas, training, you know, participants. This may affect your ultimate deadline. The involvement of, you know, the subordinates may be perceived as a loss of sharing or, you know, a loss of power or sharing power, thus creating resentment at the leadership level. This may affect the performance of leaders, which in turn may affect subordinate performance. You know, some workers may not want to be involved in decision-making process aspect of jobs or, or, you know, goals as well. You know, when their leader is distrusted or when a, you know, poor labor relation climate is present, the supporters may see their participation as doing management's job rather than being part of the decision-making process. So when government attempts to involve the community in education reform, healthcare, economic, social development, it may be perceived as downloading, right? Especially if these activities are undertaken in conjunction with other programs, economic cutbacks. And this is how a lot of people view these things. Um, not necessarily me, but that's how a lot of people view these things. And uh, it appeals that, you know, broad-based participation in short-term projects may not be as advantageous as implementing a participation model among a group of employees or, or members that will be part of the same team for an extended period and have become very knowledgeable and proficient at their specific, you know, tasks and jobs. You know, inability to recognize this can lead to a lack of confidence in the process, the leaders and uh, create resistance to participation ultimately. You know, we talk about learning styles. Or be so, sorry, leadership styles. Um, we talked last was participative leadership. Um, so what are some of the options available to leaders? You know, Victor Vrom and Arthur Jago, uh, you know, maintain that there are three different types of leader behaviors. Leaders uh, either use autocratic consultative or group decision-making styles, autocratic. This style states that the leader solves problems or makes decisions using information available to him or her at the time. In some cases, uh, the leader may consult with subordinates to obtain information, but at no time does, you know, subordinates input include, you know, may be included in the decision-making. So the decision is passed onto subordinates for implementation after that. Consultative um, type of behavior leader behavior, uh, the leader shares the problem with the subordinates and gets their input. Subordinate involvement is seen as either a collaborative or, excuse me, either a collective or individual request for information, which may or may not influence the decisions. The leaders, you know, reserves the right to make the final decision, though, at the end of the day. And uh, a group type of leader behavior, the leader shares the problem with the subordinates as the group, as a group, obtains their collective input, and tries to reach a consensus on a solution. The leader acts as a facilitator or chairman, in a sense, trying not to influence input and accepting any solution that the group may suggest. With these three different approaches, we can see there are differing you know, degrees within the spectrum that leaders may apply, or the different approach they might go. You know, according to Roman Jago, um, the approach depends on the situation or problem at hand, um, 
Yeah. So it's it's kind of it's it's interesting because you can see that the way these different type of leadership styles are used in different jobs that you've had or been involved in, in different groups you've been involved in, but you can see how you know this can also be applied to a political sense and how somebody rules and how people have ruled in the past. So it's it's quite interesting to take these things about organizational behavior, which is, you know, made for organizations and businesses, but to also, you know, take that and apply it to a wider scale. I think it's really important. You know, so there's, we talk about, you know, qualities of successful leaders. You know, it is apparent that leaders must possess many qualities in order to be successful and maintain support of the support of their subordinates. Um, so here's a list of the, some of the qualities, I think. So I think intellectual stimulation is really important. You know, people who are stimulated to think of problems and solutions in a heterodox way, a different way. You know, this depends on creativity, novelty, and the ability to help people empathize with a fresh new situation. Two, you need energy. The leader must be willing to exert the energy and effort that is necessary to see the task through to completion. You know, leaders show, you know, show by example. Um self-confidence you need leaders need to be self-assured and possess a confidence in the task their ability to perform that task and the abilities of their of subordinates to contribute to getting that task out and getting that task you know all the way assertiveness you know leaders express their feelings honestly and directly in appropriate spontaneous and non-manipulative ways you know assertiveness communicates respect for others while acting in own one's own best interest Dominance, you know, when, when appropriate, successful leaders must be able to take control and dominate an issue, environment, or situation. The successful leader also knows when to relinquish control and involve others. This is a whole idea that, you know, being a leader requires a lot of responsibility. The responsibility to know when to put the team on your back and the responsibility to know when to allow the team to come up with the solutions. Um. You know, six, motivation. You know, successful leaders know what they want, have a clear path to achieving it, and are driven by intrinsic rewards. You know, whether it's Maslow's need for self-actualization, Alifer's need for, you know, growth needs, or McLean's need for power, leaders are driven by a need for success and achievement. Seven, you know, honesty and integrity, right? To be recognized for the right reasons, and the good reasons, in my opinion, leaders must be seen as being above reproach. Honestly, honesty and integrity are two of the main factors that allow leaders to enjoy the support of subordinates. Without these qualities, there is no perception of, there is, excuse me, there is a perception of mistrust, which leads to a lack of confidence and, you know, in-group problems and dysfunctional groups and organizations. And finally, charisma. You know, charismatic leaders possess the personal qualities that give them the potential to have extraordinary influence over others. They tend to command strong loyalty and devotion and in turn inspire enthusiastic, you know, enthusiastic dedication and commitment to their leaders on his or her mission. Dedication is inspired from an emotional commitment and followers come to trust and identify with these leaders. Charismatics tend to possess all of the qualities noted, you know, like I mentioned earlier. And, you know, there's some argument that charisma in itself is a style of leadership, which is, you know, for another day. Um, 
but I th- I think you know talking about this you know and to, to finish on this particular point we talk about you know leadership considerations right how involved do others need to be or want to be is participative leadership an option why or why not is that an option you have to think these things through you know the environmental consequences, you know, what are the external influences on a leadership? And, and the, you know, is it possible to adapt your the leadership style, your leadership style to different situations? Can you do it? Are you able to do it? And that's the important thing is realizing a lot of these things, realizing the group dynamics, realizing um, all this different stuff. And it's essential, in my opinion, um, to understanding. So, you know, we talk about the 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 need for you know because this this ultimately and the the reason why I wanted to talk about this stuff essentially is because I, I think people obviously who listen to the show are working people um they might be a leader or might be trying to become a leader and learning the qualities and traits of a leader they might be somebody who's working under a leader somebody that they trust or they might be working under a leader somebody that they don't trust and they don't like. And I think it's important to take what I talked about today and kind of see how it applies to your own situations, to your own individual situations, to your own particular situations, mind you. Um, because I think it's important to understand what makes a good leader and what doesn't. And I think, you know, when people really take this stuff in, it can really help us make the right choices. Uh, and what do I mean by that? Make the right choices in our organizations make the right choices within our companies, our businesses, making the right choices within government, within state, local, federal government, you know, understanding how motivation works and the connectivity connectivity to leadership, I think is something that's really underrated and not talked about enough. There's many things. And the thing is like, you know, a lot of people are very cynical about leadership and motivation and a lot of different things. They think it's, you know, uh, complete manipulation and all this stuff. And that's not how – it's not how I see it. Um, unfortunately, you know, I mean people, whether it's in government, business, whatever, people, there's always going to be types of hierarchy. Anytime any type of people go to go to complete something of value, there will be a hierarchy. So, for instance, what I mean by that? I mean, if me and 30 other people try to become good at shooting, you know, a th- you know, a three-point shot from the in basketball. Regardless of how much time and everything, you know, one person puts versus another person, you know, there is going to be a at least an implied thing that, oh, well, if I work hard enough, I can get, you know, become the best. And something to understand is that, you know, everybody is trying to become the best ultimately whether they are failing at it miserably and they're just not admitting it or they're actually trying to succeed and become better. And, you know, I mentioned something, you know, the most, in my opinion, the most important thing about being a leader um, is being able to lead yourself. And on this show, I've talked ad nauseum about being able to lead yourself and lead yourself in the right goal and in the right place. Um, I think it's very important to understand all these things and, I think it's also really important to get into 
understanding how motivation works, how to stay motivated, but also some of the theories behind this stuff because people just look at motivation and leadership as these, you know, I pay for a seminar and I go there and the guy's smiling and clapping on stage, you know, very um, – it's a very Tom Cruise and Magnolia <laughs> type of thing where people think it's that way and it's not. So, you know, to end today's show, I'm, I'm hopefully you – know, I, I didn't get a chance to talk about the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. Hopefully I, I might even do a book review uh, in the future of that and talk a little bit more about leadership and about how uh, – what do you call it? John Maxwell's book kind of goes into that maybe some of the underlying things within John Maxwell's theory. But ultimately, I, I, I want to say that, you know, it's important out there to understand the connection between the group's motivation – and his connection to the leadership and his ability to motivate that group and make a cohesive, sound organization, a cohesive, sound unit, and without being able to understand one another, without being able to listen to one another, and being, you know, having some type of clarity and being charitable to each other. I think without having any of that, you can't successfully be motivated, either self motivated. Or group, you know, or leader motivated, and the leader can't be a successful leader. So again, I want to really thank you again for listening. I want to also remind you that uh, the website's being updated, doing a new or updating the website, kind of changing some things around. So you should be seeing that in a week or two. Thank you again, and have a wonderful day.